All right. We are back. Galatians chapter 2, the second half of the chapter. And um, I call this today Satan's Plan B. In our last session, we saw how the Apostle Paul returned to Jerusalem after, what, 17 years, I think? And he stood with the other apostles, unified in the message of the gospel. And not only the message, but the mission to share Jesus with all nations, both Jews and Gentiles. And we saw how some came to the apostles posing as believers and tried to bring them back into a keeping of the law for righteousness. However, they were not swayed from the gospel's message, nor were they deterred from their mission. In today's passage, we see Satan's plan B in action as he tries a different tactic to bring believers back into slavery so that they will begin trying to keep the law to sustain their righteousness in their life. Let's uh, begin by reading verses um, 11 through 14, Galatians chapter 2. Here's what it says. Speaking of Peter, here we go. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Alright, so keep in mind that in this testimony from Paul about Peter, as well as the account he gave in the first part of the chapter regarding the spies wanting to bring them back into slavery. Paul is laying down some groundwork for uh, what he's about to address the Galatians in the next or the final four chapters here. The Galatians have been sliding back into an old mindset of legalism and apparently they're trying to sustain the righteousness that Jesus gave them through his life, death, and resurrection. Uh, which they received through faith and not through works. They appear to be thinking now that they might be able to keep themselves righteous in God's eyes by keeping the law. And Paul's making a case that we all still need the gospel of grace every day in our life, even after we become a believer. Today's example shows us that if Peter and Barnabas can be pulled in that direction, the Galatians had better analyze their own heart. And we had as well. It could happen to us. So also in this chapter, we're going to see the same thread we've seen all along. Uh, the strength running through Paul's life. How staying in uh, an intimate, personal relationship with Christ. He is rooted. Uh, his foundation is sure. He has the confidence to provide accountability to Peter in his sin. 
What was exactly Peter's sin? Well, um, the scene is this, as Peter was eating and, and fellowshipping with a group of the Gentile believers. Maybe there was preaching uh, and worshiping. We don't know all the details. The next thing you know, James has brought in or, or sent a group of people who Paul calls the circumcision party, uh, Jews, right? Uh, James apparently has focused his ministry on the Jewish people. In fact, the book of James is addressed to Jewish people. Um, it starts out James chapter one, verse one, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 t tribes in the, the dispersion, greetings. So that's to the 12 tribes. And many think this is the same James, right? But also remember earlier in this chapter, verse eight, Paul mentioned how even Peter had a special ministry to the circumcised while he had his ministry to the Gentiles. So, so it's possible that Peter knew some of these Jewish people who are referred to as the circumcision party. Still, we're not given a whole lot of information about them. So uh, it's my opinion that since James brought them into the fellowship, they were Jewish converts, they were believers who still observed many of the Jewish ordinances uh, and laws. And, and if that's the case, that's not necessarily wrong. Even Paul at times was a keeper of the Old Testament law, but he didn't keep it as a way to make himself righteous or to keep himself righteous even. He knew that Jesus was the end of the law for righteousness. So why did Paul keep Old Testament law at times and not at other times. He tells us um, more than once, let's see 1 Corinthians chapter 9 verses 20 and 21, to the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. And um, then in the next chapter, he says even more. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, beginning 31. So whether you eat or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many that they may be saved. So like I said, we don't know much about what was going on with the circumcision party exactly, except we do know that they went along and followed Paul along with Barnabas. Yeah, Paul's lead, they, they followed Paul's lead in acting uh, hypocritically toward the Gentile believers. And perhaps they were like the Galatians. And I think that's the point of him bringing this out. They were in danger maybe of sliding back into legalism. And later on in Galatians, we're gonna see Paul forcefully make this point to them. Um, let, let's look at one of those verses of Galatians chapter five, verse six. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, 
but only faith working through love. Clearly, our focus should not be uh, to have faith in ourselves to keep the law, <laughs> but rather our focus should be on Jesus, have faith in him, rejoicing in Jesus, uh, as he has placed his own righteousness into our account. And now the Holy Spirit in us motivates us to keep his laws, right? Not for righteousness, but out of him in us, working out good deeds through us, uh, through agape love for others, to the praise of his glory, so that all might see the beauty of Jesus. All right, so Paul and Barnabas um, and the circumcision party had fallen into sin. And it was a sin of hypocrisy and partiality. It was prejudice towards the Gentiles. And I suspect Peter, he showed favoritism to them because he wanted their favor. The Bible says Peter feared them. And, and maybe he feared that they would think less of him because he was eating with the Gentiles. I think he wanted him, them to like him, and so he withdrew from the Gentiles. Uh, it was likely easy for him to fall back into that old way of thinking. It was an old comfort zone, if you will. For most of his life, Peter likely thought that eating with the Gentiles made him unclean, but he should have known better at this point because remember, it was Peter who God showed in a vision that the Gentiles were not unclean. He went with a Gentile named Cornelius and he shared the gospel with, with many in his household. And you can read all about that in Acts chapter 10. But look, no matter where we are in our walk with Christ, we're all still babes. Any one of us can fall at the blink of an eye. And that being said, I think it would be a hard thing to call Peter out on something. <laughs> this one who preached at Pentecost and about, what, 3,000 people came to Christ. I don't want us to think less of Peter for his sin. Paul admittedly had to fight sin in his own life. We all do. And, and this kind of sin Peter faced is oh so powerful. When we want to be accepted by certain groups, so bad. Uh, we can't hardly help but be pulled away from the groups that already accept us. That is, uh, groups that have such a different worldview than the group we are already in. You know, there is much pressure in our culture to do this. It can begin in school, right? When we begin showing apathy uh, and we dismiss our old friends so we can run with a more popular group. And if we are to be accepted in this click, I guess, our views have to change to their views or we will be booted out. And throughout life, we're just always being tempted to want to be accepted by rich and powerful or influential people. And it can be an easy thing to, to rationalize, but it can also bring us disaster. And I believe it was Paul's ongoing intimate relationship with Christ uh, through his word and through just walking with him that kept him from being caught up in this sin that Peter and Barnabas and the uh, circumcision group uh, were caught up into. 
Um, you may remember that the, in chapter one, Paul indicated that he is not one who is seeking the approval of man. He is a servant of Christ. Let's see, chapter one, verse 10. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. That makes sense, right? I mean, it's what servants try to do. They try to please their masters. And Paul is saying that we need to make this connection in our minds. Who are we serving? So this sin of Peter seems to be that he was trying to please man. That is the circumcision party over God. Um, maybe he was even trying to please himself, but that also ple is pleasing man, right? Um, you know, when I sin, I usually don't think that the sin is leading me back to some form of righteousness by works or legalism. I, do, I don't normally see temptation to sin as Satan's attempt to dilute the truth of the gospel, but I think it actually is, big time. I believe this temptation for Peter and Barnabas was Satan's attempt to distort the gospel. It was his plan B. Uh, he was trying a different tactic than he did at the beginning of chapter with the spies. And right away, Peter's sin caused him to begin to bring others with him into that sin. And sin has a way of doing that in our life. So as we continue, let's just keep this question in the back of our minds. And that is, is every temptation to sin Satan's attempt to distort the gospel? All right. So let's listen to Paul as he explains Peter's error. And see if you think Peter's sin of partiality could lead to the gospel being distorted. Galatians 2.15, beginning there, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. <laughs> so here, you know, it catches me by surprise. Because Paul seems to be using the gospel to counter the sin Peter has engaged in. And so question, can we use the gospel to counter every sin or every temptation? I think we can uh, in Peter's separation from the Gentile believers, he was reaffirming the old mentality that we talked about. It was so prevalent in Israel. And it was the same way of thinking that Peter had been used to. Like we said, it's, it's, it was possibly a comfort zone for him. And I want us to also see that Paul is making a case for the Galatians and for you and me. Remember in Galatians 1, 6, and 7, Paul said this to the church, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. 
So, so this example of Peter's sin for the Galatians to see their own sin and how it is distorting the message of the gospel. What are some ways the sin warps the gospel? I think there's so many. Um, I'm just thinking of some here. Uh, for starters, we know that God gave us grace and mercy, right? His favor toward us was not based on our goodness or our influence or our smarts, our power, our riches, our talent, none of those things. Grace is unmerited favor. Peter, on the other hand, had apparently showed favoritism to the circumcision party of Jews over the Gentile believers because of uh, some of the same things we just mentioned, that God does not take into account when he loves us. As for Peter, maybe in seeking their approval, he used that old mentality uh, as a tool, and he wanted them to, to think that he thought that the Jews were more righteous than the Gentiles were. <laughs> so in that way, he sought their approval. As I touched on before, historically, uh, like for centuries, the Jews had thought of themselves as being more upright than the Gentiles. They even bypassed their villages when they were traveling because they didn't want to become contaminated. And Peter, in his partiality, was proclaiming that this message back to the whole assembly, Gentile and Jews both which is the very opposite of the gospel of grace that Jesus had showed Peter. Romans 2.11 says this, For God shows no partiality. But that's what Peter was doing. So another way I was thinking about how sin warps the gospel. You know, every sin, it dethrones Jesus as the treasure of our heart. When we walk in sin, we distort the gospel to ourselves. We're saying Jesus is not the good news for us, but rather we are saying to ourselves that sin is a better treasure for us. It deserves the throne of our heart. It satisfies. I'm going to believe its promises. That's what Adam and Eve did, right? For Peter, maybe the treasure that slid into the throne of his heart was what others thought. Uh, again, trying to please man instead of God. You know, not only does our sin distort the gospel to us, but it also presents a corrupted gospel to the world. We cannot hide unrepentant sin. Whatever is on the throne of our heart is going to eventually be proclaimed. Jesus said this in Matthew 12:35. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. And Matthew 12, 34 says, For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. So whatever we consider good news for ourselves has a way of surfacing, right? It has a way of being seen by others. And I suppose that because Peter's sin was public and he had been drawing others in to follow his lead in this sin, um, and, it be, and because it was so contrary to, to the gospel, Paul publicly corrected Peter as a way to provide um, damage control. 
so this slavery to uh, the keeping of the law for righteousness might not once again take root, okay? So Paul continues, Galatians 2, 17 and 18, but if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. So Peter has has tore down this belief that righteousness comes by the law. But now he's walking back in those very things. So he has proved himself to be a transgressor. So somehow because of this sin that, that so subtly might have slipped by unnoticed to Peter. He was in danger, I think, of at least uh, beginning to rebuild this old way of establishing self-righteousness by by his own works. Um, Now next we see Paul giving personal testimony to this very thing, um, Galatians 2.19, for through the law I died to the law so that I might live to God. So for Paul, his own self-centered motivation to have righteousness through the law had to die before he could live. All right, so let's, uh, in closing, look at the last two verses in the chapter, um, and then we'll do a a little recap and see what we think, all right? Um, Galatians 2, 20 and 21. Paul is talking. And he's still given his testimony. Um, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loves me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. So uh, this is a picture of the gospel. Jesus used a similar illustration about dying when he said this in Luke 9.23. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So we die to self. We die to our old ideas every day as a believer. That's how we walk close to Christ. We we die to the ideal that we can be accepted by God or have uh, favor with, with God by doing good works. And we die to the ideal that we might um, seek the approval of man over God's every day. Look, Peter was a believer. Spiritually, he had been crucified with Christ. Now he was alive in Christ and had walked with Christ by faith. But still, he was called, like you and I, to die daily. Die to himself and preferring the Jews over the Gentiles. Die to trying to please men over God. Die in trying to keep the law to sustain the righteousness that Jesus had already given him. And what Paul has said about being crucified and now living by faith is what we actually proclaim 
when we come to Christ in, in baptism as a witness of what he's done with us. Paul said it like this in Romans 6, 4. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might, what? Walk in newness of life. So as we walk in newness of life, we're, we're taking up the cross and we're dying to the old every day. So once again, we see the gospel. It's not just for initial salvation. It's for every day, every breath, every heartbeat. Walking in newness of life keeps us from distorting the gospel to ourselves and the world around us in our everyday life. It seemed like the context and uh, the message and the atmosphere of, of his, his speaking never changes. Um, he's still making a case that Peter's sin is distorting the gospel. And the way Paul does this is preaching the pure and simple basics of the gospel. <laughs> However, he is so bold and he is so blunt, speaking as though believers should should like get their heads around this. They should get their heads on straight, right? Paul uses a strong language to get his point across. Listen to, again to that last verse we read. Verse 21, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Wow, to think we can nullify, in some context, God's grace, or, or that we can say our sin can make it so that Jesus died for no purpose. That should get our attention. Um, so in what, what is the context of that? How does sin nullify the gospel of grace? I think since sin is all about serving ourselves seeking our own self-glory, see, seeing ourselves as the, our greatest treasure. And, and it's all about self-righteousness. Since it's self, 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 it nullifies the free gift of grace in the sense that it rejects Jesus as all those things, our greatest treasure. It rejects wanting to see His glory. It rejects having a heart that that wants to serve Him. It rejects Him as our only hope for righteousness. And so when, when sin gets a foothold in a believer, it has this way of creating blind spots and, and we can slide into self-righteousness so easily. Thankfully, God's always drawing his children back to him. And, and that's what he did with Peter through Paul. Uh, so uh, as we just close, finally here, uh, so far in Galatians 1 and 2, we've seen so much. A few of the things we've seen are how God's grace through the gospel is personal. Paul said that God chose him even before he was born. And, uh, and we see how his personal relationship with Jesus continued right away after he believed. He began relying on God and, and wanting to serve God and not man. And so our relationship with the Lord should be intimate and ongoing and always deepening. And we looked at how this same gospel that came to us personally is for every day, right? 
It motivates us to show love and grace to others. It empowers us to give counsel and accountability like Paul did for Peter. And it helps us trust God over the promises of the world. It beautifully reminds us that our righteousness is a free gift of God that came through Jesus. And it motivates us to serve God from the heart through his Holy Spirit in concert with his word. So, um, you know, we, we just have to always keep a, a close eye out on our heart, continually seek God, always be watching for red flags that want to pull us out of our personal mode with God. Satan tried two different strategies to bring the apostles and, and believers back into some kind of uh, keeping the law for righteousness. But God was always drawing his children back. So just remember that um, when we treasure particular sins in our life, we're putting ourselves back on the throne of our heart. We're essentially treasuring our personal relationship with self instead of our Savior. But when we daily walk in the gospel, it brings us extreme joy and much peace overflowing with love for those around us for God's glory. Father God, thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you for Galatians chapter one and two, Father, we've, we've went through so far, Lord, and help us to keep you as our treasure, Father, every day, Lord. Uh, don't let us uh, ignore your word or uh, set it aside, Father. Don't let us forsake assembling ourselves with other believers, Father, fellowshipping with them, uh, even as believers, Father, you know that sin wants to get a foothold in our life and uh, cause divisions, Father. Help us to look to you, to treasure you, and not put our eyes on man or uh, not try to please man, Father. Help us not to distort the gospel to our own selves and become blind in areas where we should be treasuring you, Lord. And help us not to distort the gospel to the world, saying that what the world treasures is, is better than Jesus. Uh, just guide us. Thank you for continually drawing us back to you, that you might be glorified and that we might walk in your joy and peace. In Jesus' name, amen.